I want to kick off our series today called The Miracle of Mercy. And I want you to get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. A good definition of mercy, you know, sometimes we need to put, put some parameters on what we're talking about. A really great definition I came across on the definition of mercy is simply the love of God in action. Isn't that a good definition? The love of God in action. And, you know, we can talk about the two different ways that action is displayed. We saw it this morning. Sometimes the action is just by being compassionate or loving or kind to somebody else or meeting a need. That's the, that's the mercy of God in action. But we're going to talk about the thornier side. You know, Jerry said sometimes mercy is really hard. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, the other side of mercy that's really hard is the side that deals with forgiveness. I mean, you know, forgiveness is hard. We can all just be out. Forgiveness is hard. Releasing somebody who has hurt us is really, really hard. Perhaps one of the hardest things human beings have to do. And let me just mention something else. That this is not optional in God's mind. How many know this is not, to put it in our context, this is not an opportunity God is offering us. God never says, let me give you an opportunity to forgive, as if we can pass by if we're not interested. How many of you know forgiveness is a commandment? God specifically says we must, it's not optional, we must forgive. And that's why, you know, the hard part is we, we struggle with this like, God, seriously, why? I mean, you're a good forgiver, I'm not. Why can't you do all the forgiving? And I'll just say I'm with him, you know, do I can't, why, 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 why? And when we get to Matthew 18, we find that Peter's already asking this question for us. How many of you know, if there's one thing that's universal around the globe, every nation, tub, uh, tongue, language, tribe, everybody hurts other people. Every nation. Or, or every nation is an equal opportunity insulter, hurter, injurer. Um, everybody, if you wanted to preach the most relevant message anywhere you go in the world, just preach a message on forgiveness. Because guess what? Everybody there needs to do it too. And so Peter asked the question that we're all wishing we would ask. He says, basically, you know, why? And we, we find this. Go ahead and drop down to Matthew 18, to verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then Peter offers this last little suggestion to Jesus. Up to seven times? Question mark. Now, here's the challenge. Notice Peter uses the word brother. He's not just talking about strangers. He's not talking about our enemies. He's talking about brother. He's talking about this person in our lives that repeatedly, that continually hurts us. This is not just an occasional thing. This is an ongoing offense, an ongoing hurt, an ongoing wound. And if the Lord calls us to forgive, Peter says, Lord, where do we draw the line? Like, how many times? Help me out. Give me some hope. How many times? How long do I have to be long-suffering? How many times must we forgive the same person? And notice, again, this could be, obviously, if it's a brother, it's talking about someone close to us, somebody like a family member, somebody maybe like a co-worker, somebody that we spend a lot of time with on a regular basis. And how many of you know, when we come to the holidays, the holidays are not happy for everybody. Sometimes the holidays means you're having... Uncle so-and-so over, or you're having this person in your family who has offended everybody or hurt everybody or is an ongoing source of irritation. I mean, you know, those families exist. And you were supposed to get together and give thanks and hallelujah. And some of you are thinking, I can't wait till they leave. All right. I know I'm not talking to any of you, but you know, that happens theoretically out there in the world. 
Because it's really hard to extend forgiveness to people who have hurt us. It's especially hard to extend forgiveness to people who know you know best and are able to hurt, hurt you most deeply and consistently, which usually means family members, co-workers, close friends. And Peter thinks he's aced the exam here. How I many you know Peter was always opening his mouth? He was always trying to impress Jesus with his wisdom, his understanding, his compassion. And so Peter does something. I want you to see how Peter operates here. Under the old covenant, the law, the law actually required that you forgive a repeat offender three times. All right? You got to do it three times. So Peter's thinking, okay, I'm going to give a good answer because how many of you know <laughs> that would have been rare? All right, so Peter's trying to give a good answer and he says, okay, the law says three times. I'm going to double it. That'll show Jesus how compassionate and merciful I am. And I'm going to put one on top for icing on the cake. All right, so seven times. So when Peter says, Jesus, Shall I forgive my repeat offender seven times? He's waiting for a big hug. He's waiting for Jesus to pat him on the head, give him a star. And Jesus, as Jesus normally does, blows him out of the water with his answer. And I want you to see the answer in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. I mean, you know... (laughs) That was a mind blower right there. That was where Peter's left standing with all of his circuits absolutely blown wide open. And he's going, you have got, and he's not probably saying this, but on the inside, he's going, you have got to be kidding me. Are you crazy? I mean, you know, many times when, when Jesus gave these types of answers, the disciples were like, nobody can do that. And this is where Jesus always said the same thing. With God, all things are possible. He's always trying to push us to the end of our ability. And how many of you realize mercy is a push to the end of our ability? Take a look at what happens next. In essence, Jesus is saying to Peter, there's no limit on the release of forgiveness and mercy. Now, you realize the most outstanding characteristic of God Almighty is that he is a merciful God. In fact, Romans, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 says we're going to spend all of eternity just unpackaging one aspect of God's greatness, of his beauty, of his glory, and that's his mercy. So have you figured out like me that we probably understand mercy about this much right now? Because God is going to show us how merciful he was just to me, to you, and it's going to take all of the ages to come for him to unfold that. So mercy is a very, very precious thing, and God's saying, look... I want you to hear this. If we're counting, like how many times to forgive, if we're counting, it doesn't count. There's no keeping score in the kingdom of God. There's no tick marks or tallies. We're not doing this with the kingdom. In fact, if you're living that way, you're not living in the mercy of God. Jesus launches into this profound parable that we're pretty familiar with, but it's worth revisiting. There's a powerful king Jesus begins talking about, and and this king wants to settle all of his accounts. Maybe he's coming to the end of the financial year, and he's wanting to get all of his accounts in order. And so the servants drag in this man who owes the king, the Bible says, 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents in our economy today would be worth about, ready for this, $12 million. How would you like to be brought in before somebody whom you owe $12 million, the ball's in their court, they have all the leverage, and they're demanding payment, and it's not just, sorry, I can't pay you. In those days, if you could not pay, the king could sell your entire family into slavery, which he threatened to do, and at least get back some of his investment, even though it would not be all of the investment. 
I want you to see what happens next. This is a, this is a tragic, dire, heavy, you know, serious situation that this slave has run into. This man's run into $12 million in debt. And look what he does in verse 26. The servant fell down before this king and he said, Master, have patience with me. I promise you I'm going to pay it all back. I'll pay every cent. Just have patience. How many of you know this is a ridiculous request? If you broke down to what this man owed just daily out of 365 days, all right, it comes to $32,876 a day and some change. How many of you know this guy's not paying it back? This guy could live a thousand lifetimes and not pay it back. That's the point of the parable. This man's debt is so huge, it's, it's insurmountable. And Jesus, as he's laying out the story, obviously he's setting us up. Because after a while you realize he's really talking about us, isn't he? He's talking about our debt of sin, and he's trying to paint a picture so that we understand it, so that we won't be like Peter staring there at Jesus going, you mean seven's not enough? There's more? You require more? Help me, help me, help me. Jesus is trying to help Peter out here, and he's trying to help us out as well. Now, as we go on in the rest of the text here, I want to highlight three reasons why you and I have to learn how to forgive as we move into this Thanksgiving holiday season. Three reasons why I must learn to forgive. Reason number one, I have to forgive, you have to forgive, because God has forgiven me and he's forgiven you. Look at verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. What a great phrase to circle in your Bible. Moved with compassion. And he released him, and he forgave his debt. Now, how many of you owe any debt right now? All right. Anybody owe on your house? How many of you owe on your car? How many of you have any student loans? <laughs> Credit card debt. Okay, almost everybody, I would assume, in this room uh, is in debt. Americans are good at that. We all, we all owe somebody something. Now imagine, I'm just thinking in my own life. I've got some school debt from my kids. I've got, I've got uh, the house. I've got my car. If somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, I've taken care of it all. I just wiped it all out. You don't have to worry about it. It's paid in full. You're good. I mean, I, I'm just trying to let that sink in right now because I can't, I, I can't even conceive of that right now. But I'm just trying to let, I guarantee you, my response would be one of, um, I would be animated as I normally am, I would, I would, I would smile. I would hug. I'd hug again. I'd look him in the face. You gotta be kidding me. Are you serious? Then I would shift from joy to emotion, realizing this is a lot of money and it's been lifted from me. And how, how, why did you do this? How could you do this? Thank you for doing this. But you know, you'd be, then you'd be, how many would deal with the awkward? Oh, you didn't have to do that. Seriously? No. Uh, I mean, we would, you know, we're like the same kind of person I am. All right. But at the end of the day, if it, if, if it was true, how, you know, there'd be a huge, huge burden lifted off of our shoulders. And listen, the natural response would be one of pure joy. I'm free. I am absolutely free. I, I could begin thinking, wait a minute. Take the house payment out of the budget, the car payment out of the budget, the loan repayment out of the budget. No way! I just got a raise that's significant. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I mean, all that, you start dreaming again. You start thinking about what you could do with the extra money if you had it. Well, this is what should have been happening with this servant. 
He should have been feeling all these things, but shockingly enough, look at verse 28 because we see this is not how he reacts at all to this great news. $12 million wiped off of his slate. He's a free man. His family's going to stay together. Look at verse 28. But that servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii in our economy, you ready for this? $12 million debt, $17. He lays his hands on this man who owes him 17 bucks, takes him by the throat, and he says, pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant falls at his feet and begs him. Now, this has got to be a deja vu moment, because look at what he says. He says the exact same thing that this, that this man said only moments earlier with the king. He says, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. I'll pay you everything back, I promise. All 17 bucks, I'll pay you back, please. Have patience with me. And look at verse 30. What a tragedy. And he would not. But he went and he threw this guy into prison until he got his debt paid back. Now, what's going on here? I mean, anybody that hears this story is stunned. And how many of you have anger towards this person in the, that owes a set that, that went after the guy for 17 bucks? You're like, what is the problem with you, dude? What, what aren't you getting? And yet, we all realize Jesus is setting up every single last one of us. Because we're the, tw- we're the $12 million debtors, and our neighbors and people in our family that hurt us are the $17 debtors. And yet, we want to grab them by the throat and take them out and make them pay, there's husbands and wives in here. You want to make your spouse pay for the pain that they've caused you. You want to make your worker, at, you know, your coworker pay. You want to make that family member pay. You want to make your dad pay, your mom pay. Whoever it is that hurts you, 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 you grab them by the neck for 17 bucks of forgiveness. When God says, I wiped out a $12 million unpayable debt, why are you acting this way? And yet that's exactly how this guy's acting. It's stunning until we realize that it's us. Now, this is the beauty of the gospel, is that we've got to understand what it means to live as free people. Why is it that we take communion every Sunday? Why do we want to remind ourselves of the cross? Because I believe this. If we're not in touch with God's mercy towards, personalize this, not towards us, towards you and towards me, If I'm not in touch with the mercy of God poured out, the cost of that mercy poured out on me, how am I supposed to love you correctly? How am I supposed to release mercy to other people? And I think we fall into two problems here in the church. Here's the first problem. Many people have such a small view of their own sin that it's really not all that impressive to them. Most of us, if we acted, who do we identify with more in the parable? We think we're the $17 debtor. And the Lord says, no, you're the $12 million debtor. I've heard people actually say this. Well, you know what? If God would send anybody to hell, and if hell is as it's described in the Bible, if God would send anybody to hell, then I just don't think I want to spend eternity with a God like that. Really. What's, what's being displayed right there? An incredible blindness to the holiness of God and to the weightiness of that person's sin. We just don't get it. On our best day, we don't get it. Self-righteousness is part of who we are. Pride is part of who we are. Arrogance is part of who we are. How many of you know you always think your neighbor's sin is worse than yours? I remember um, one time it was Chuck Colson speaking at a secular event where most of the audience did not know the Lord. And he went and drew something on the board. He said, who's the, one of the most vile, wicked people you can imagine? 
Somebody, you know, they all raise their hands. Somebody said, well, Adolf Hitler. Okay, Adolf Hitler. They put Adolf, they made a dot on the board and wrote Adolf Hitler's name over the dot. And then he said, who's the, the best person, most pure, holy person that comes to your mind that ever lived? Jesus, absolutely. And he drew another dot on the other far end of the board and wrote Jesus. And then this is what he had him do. Right now at your table, take your dinner napkin, and I want you to draw what I just drew, and I want you to put where you fall on the continuum. Now, let me just tell you where everybody puts themselves. It's the same place. Just slightly over midway toward Jesus. Because what we do is we look at our neighbor and we go, I'm not as bad as her. And we look the other way. I'm not a jerk like him, but, but I'm nothing like Adolf Hitler. And so I'm going to be humble. I want to put myself just at the 51% mark with a lean towards Jesus. I mean, we're all busted. I just admit it, you're busted. That's exactly where we would have put ourselves. But here's what Colson did next. He erased the, the line with where, Je- or the dot with where Jesus was. And he said, honestly, if we wanted to put this, the separation between Adolf Hitler and Jesus, it would go on in an infinite line. Because pure righteousness and holiness has nothing in common with sin. You'd have to keep that line extending forever. And then he did something which shocked everybody. He went to the dot where Adolf Hitler was and he said, the truth of the matter is most of us are just shy of right here. See, that's why we need a savior. That's why Christ's death on the cross was radical. It involved being beaten beyond recognition. It involved the shedding of his blood. It involved a sinless sacrifice. But here's what I want you to get this morning, because this is the second problem. The first problem is we don't understand the magnitude of our sin before a holy, righteous God. And we think God's overreacting somehow in hell or suggesting that there's any kind of punishment. But here's the second thing where we fail. We fail to apply the mercy of God personally. Now, this is the good news of the gospel. You are never going to be closer to Jesus than you are right now from a legal standpoint. How many know the cross paid for your sin in full? God wiped out every single sin that would be pointing at you and accusing you before a righteous judge, a righteous king, God Almighty. That sin Jesus took on himself at the cross. How many of you know whatever you did in the past... The moment you said yes to Christ and you repented of your sin, it is washed clean. None of it exists. Not an ounce of it. Your grace for today and your forgiveness for today was paid for at the cross. It's available. And guess what? My sin for this week, God forbid, I'm not looking into sin or trying to sin, but as I need Christ's provision for me this week, guess what? It's already on my account and record. Now here's the problem. We don't live like that. There are people that are Christians that come to church and yet they are so harsh and so angry and so unforgiving with other brothers and sisters or maybe even their spouse or or whatever. And let me just tell you, when you don't feel forgiven, you're not a very good forgiver. When you still feel guilty, you're very critical and judgmental of other people. 
because you still have a guilty conscience. And there are people that will try to overcome, and we still get into this works mentality where we're going to try to show God how good we are and that we're going to make, we're going to make his death on the cross. We're going to show him that we were somehow worth it. And I'm just telling you, as long as you live that way, it means you're, you are not in touch on an emotional level with how much God loves you, how free you are, how forgiven you are, how accepted you are. Because, listen, people that feel forgiven are great forgivers. People who feel mercy are merciful. People who feel the grace of God are gracious to other people. And people who don't feel that and aren't in touch with that, no matter how legal of a reality is, are some of the, they'll hold on to that person's uh, uh, act against them. They will not let it go. And they will hold on and hold on and hold on. And they will beat one another up, whether it's their marriage relationship, their family, whatever. I have seen the most insignificant offenses sets one of the parties off and they hold this insignificant in the grand scheme of things. It's a 17, it isn't even a $17 offense. It's a quarter. It's a stinking quarter, nickel, penny offense. And they will hold that person by their throat and basically say, this little offense is greater in my eyes than who you are as my wife, as my husband, as somebody I love, as my brother or sister in Christ. They choke that person to death over a minor infraction. And listen, this is a person that's been forgiven of $12 million. Actually, that's a small amount, isn't compared to the truth about what we've been forgiven of. We have got to understand our own personal debt, number one, and we have got to, number two, experience the fullness of our forgiveness. Some of you need to, to, to believe that you're forgiven. You know, I've talked to people in this church. We deal a lot with standing up for the unborn, and I know there are people in this congregation that have been personally a part of abortion, been either had an abortion, encouraged somebody else to have an abortion, whatever this scenario, and listen to me. I get it. I mean, we talk about these issues, and every time we think about our sin, whether it's the sin of abortion or whether it's a a thousand other sins, that's an opportunity for you to measure the depth of how forgiven you feel. Because how many of you believe that God's blood shed in his son paid for our sins, paid for every possible sin imaginable? Y'all believe that? There's not one sin that's greater, uh, that's greater than the blood of Jesus or the sacrifice of the sinless Son of God. Which means if that's been you, and we've had women stand up, we've had men stand up and openly confess, I was a part of this. I, this is what I did uh, in my earlier days. I, I, I was ashamed of what I did. I, I wish I could do it over. But you know what? Thank God I'm forgiven and I stand here before you, forgiven and in right standing before God. And he doesn't even remember what I've done. It's washed under his blood. In fact, D.O. Moody said this, God takes our sins and he buries them in the depths of the sea and he puts a sign out on, on top of the, of, the, of the water that says, no fishing. Which means you can't go back and pull it back up. You have to believe that Jesus is true, that his blood covers all of our sin. And listen, that there's nothing to be ashamed of when you've confessed it and brought it to the cross and allowed the Lord to wash you and cleanse you. This is the good news of the gospel. We have to believe it. We have to experience it. So I ask you this question. Do you feel forgiven? Or are you still find pockets in your heart where you're harsh, you're unforgiving, you're critical, you're negative all the time towards other people? I would like to suggest to you that that might be a sign 
of some unresolved guilt in your own heart or shame from the past where you need to appropriate Christ's forgiveness in your own heart so you can be loving and gracious and kind to other people. Point number two, why do we need to forgive? How many of you know because resentment makes you and I miserable? Look at Matthew 18, 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and they told their master all that had been done. And then notice this, the master, after he had been called, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and, check this out, delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Now, what I want you to see here, and this is important, the servant is not tortured because of his debt. That's already been forgiven. The servant is tortured because of his unforgiveness. Now, Jerry shared first service, you know, different parts of his testimony come out, but, you know, he shared that in the home in which he was fathered, his father was abusive and critical and angry and, and never affirming, and this was all poured into him, all right, as he was growing up. So these are things that he had to overcome because of the pain and because of the hurt. But at some point, he had to forgive his father. Because guess what? His father is not even alive. There are some of you out there, people that have wounded you. You're not even alive. And the sad thing is, you have put yourself in a self-imposed torture chamber. And you continue to allow the bitterness and the resentment and the hurt from past relationships, from people. Check this out. How many know most people that hurt other people are oblivious to the depth of pain they're causing in other people's lives? They don't even, they're not even aware. So guess what? The person that hurt you, they're on their happy little way. They're not even thinking about you. But you got them by the throat in the spirit and you put yourself in the prison and your unforgiveness locks the door and you're in a torture chamber that is absolutely self-imposed. How many people die from cancer, not because of some natural condition, but because of the spiritual dynamics underneath that, because they allow bitterness and resentment to poison their system, and they're struggling with cancer, or they're struggling with bowel intestinal problems because they're always nervous and anxious, or they have headaches continually. They cannot get rid of headaches, and the headache is not caused from high blood pressure. The headache is caused from all the stress you're under, all the pain you're living in, but it's a self-imposed pain because you will not release those wounds to the Lord. You will not let God heal you, and you will not obey God to, to simply release your uh, people that have harmed you and wounded you. You're in a self-imposed prison and you wonder, you're miserable and you're full, your body's even feeling it. The aches, the pains that you deal with in your flesh is because of all that poison that's still in your system. And it's crazy because the other person is usually oblivious. These are self-imposed wounds. So I want to ask you another question this morning. What bitter memory is robbing you of happiness? You don't have to dig for the bitter memories. How many of you know they're on a recycling, playing mechanism in your brain? You think about it every day, at least once. You all know what I'm talking about. Or you get nudged or bumped in a certain way, and, and it, it, you remember somebody's name comes up, and all of a sudden there goes, that, there goes that playing, that loop. You start rehearsing why that person needs to go to hell. Yesterday. <laughs> Yep, Lord, make it seven times hotter, just like they did in the book of Daniel. (laughs) 
The sad thing is that memory of, the, of your pain is right, you're still living like a prisoner not right here today because you, you keep wanting to choke them for 17 bucks. Listen, folks, 17 bucks ain't worth it. It's not worth it. We got to release people because resentment will make us misery. Let me end with this. Point number three, why do we need to forgive? Because guess what? I think I'm going to need forgiveness in the future. <laughs> there was a man who came to one of the great Bible greats. It might have been D.M. We have to forget who right now. But as the story goes, he was a general and he was a, a very proud man. Obviously, he had been in much warfare and in much pain. And he made the statement. He said, I will never forgive. And Moody turned to this guy and he said, well, then I guess you better hope you never need forgiveness personally. Because here's the way this thing works, and it might not seem fair to us, but guess what? If you don't give forgiveness, you don't receive forgiveness. If you don't release mercy, you don't get mercy back. Now, I'm not picking on anybody because I wasn't looking at anybody in particular. You might have been a new person here today, and that, you're fine to sit right where you're at. But I noticed something very interesting during the assignment that I gave you early on. I said, find somebody in this room. Tell them how much you appreciate them. Did y'all notice we had, to, we had to pull y'all back in order. You got totally out of control. <laughs> Which was really great to watch, by the way. There was, so much, there was so much life. But I noticed there's pockets of people who didn't move. And I want you to see something. Like I, said, I, don't, I couldn't point you out. I don't know who you are. I just observed the, the, the crowd. But here's, here's the point. If you want to receive encouragement, give it. If you want to be receive forgiveness for your own faults, release it. If you want to be a generous person, have, have your needs met, meet somebody else's needs. If you want to have lots of friends, be one. If you want to receive blessings, release blessings. If you want to get your own healing, go heal somebody else. This is the way the kingdom of God works. You can't receive something you're not willing to sow. And I'm just telling you right now, there's not a one of us in this room that before Turkey Day will not need mercy and grace from God Almighty. And if you get there on Thursday and you're like, nope, I'm good. You really need it because you're blind as can be. You need turkey and an extra blessing. All right, God help me. I, I got to overcome this turkey leg and the dressing and, and I have to have my spiritual blindness removed so I can realize I probably have needed your grace and mercy many, many times throughout the day. I just wasn't even aware of it. No, we need forgiveness. Look at Matthew 18, 35. I'm closing. My third closing right here. I'm only getting seven according to the law and Peter. All right. Um, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you, notice this phrase, from his heart does not forgive his brother of his trespasses. How many of you know God's looking for heartfelt forgiveness? Not just empty words. Not, you know, not those words when you tell your kids, hey, go make it right with your sister. Just ask her to forgive you. <gasps> forgive me. Yeah, did you have walked by forgiveness in your house? Forgive me. What did you say? I said it. I said it. I couldn't even hear you. Look your sister in the eyes and act like you mean it. <laughs> Slowly, please, sister, forgive me. I am unworthy. I deserve death. 
I'm trying to model this behavior. No, from our hearts. The Bible says from our hearts. How I many you know we should be we should be breathing in God's forgiveness for me and then breathing out God's forgiveness for other people. It should become a lifestyle. Now let me just quickly say this. Forgiveness should not be confused with trust. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I'm not going to forgive that person. They can't, they're hurting me now. I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not saying trust them. There's a big difference. I mean, you know, forgiveness needs to be instant, and this part's important, unearned. Don't ever say, I, they don't deserve my forgiveness. Nobody deserves forgiveness. We're, we're, we've all been guilty of something. We don't deserve forgiveness. You don't ever forgive anybody because they're worthy. That's not why. It's always unearned. Mercy is unearned. It's, it's, it's God's love towards us when it's unearned. So we forgive because God forgives us. It's instant, just like his forgiveness is instant, and it's unearned. We let it go. I for, how about this? I forgive because I don't want to carry the pain anymore. Why am I living this way? I'm still living in the rearview mirror. God's got my future ahead of me. Why am I living this way? But trust, and hear me on this, trust has to be rebuilt over time. I can't tell you how many marriages we've, we've talked with and worked with where there's been hurts or disappointments or wounds. And, you know, it's amazing that we can love our neighbor or love our enemies, but we have such a hard time loving our spouse at times. Anybody with me on that? You love your spouse, the one closest to you, but I think that's a picture of why. This is the person that's closest to our heart and the person who has the potential to hurt us most deeply. But I've seen this to be the case. So I can't forgive him because of what he did. I can't forgive her because of whatever she did. You must forgive your spouse for whatever they did. It doesn't mean you have to trust them because trust has to be rebuilt. And guys and gals, let me just say this, you know, when there's been uh, infidelity or there's been piercing words or there's been physical abuse or these things that get into relationships, Oh, how devastating. Have you ever had those words come out of your mouth and as soon as they hit their intended target and you realize you've just done incredible damage to the heart of your spouse. And at that point you realize, oh, why did I let that come out? And that, now it's going to take time for that to heal. Or if you're in an abusive relationship, we would never say, oh yeah, stay in that abusive relationship and just keep forgiving. That's not what this verse says. No, you get out of the abusive relationship, but here's what's non-negotiable. You must forgive the person who's hurt you. You must forgive them. Why? Because you need the forgiveness of God. And I need the forgiveness of God. And then we begin to establish, reestablish trust. Now the good news is this. If we form covenants with the Lord, like marriage, on the basis of grace and on the basis of what he did for us on the cross, the supernatural power to heal a marriage is there. Jerry Allen, he's had to reestablish trust with his wife who wanted to end the relationship. Christ came in the center of that. And at 17 years later, guess what? Their marriage is strong. Jesus can heal people. Jesus can change us. Amen? But he'll never change you personally until you embrace his mercy for you. And I want to end with this. I believe there are people here this morning. What, you know what the greatest gift God can give you for Thanksgiving? is a free heart. A free heart. How about this gift for Thanksgiving? The gift of joy. How about this? The gift of lightheartedness. How about this? The gift of confidence and hope that God's 
got your life in his hands and, and he's never going to leave you or forsake you. How about the gift of knowing that your sins, although they're many, my sins, although they're great, washed away, clean slate, knowing that you're loved as a son or daughter, knowing you're going to spend forever with the Lord and with his people. These are things to meditate on. These are things that inspire thanksgiving in our heart. And these are things that we need. So here's what I want you to do just as we end right now. I'm not going to have an altar call. I'm not going to have people come up. But I do want you to do this just because I think it's important that we respond. If there's somebody in your heart that still is on that cycle of the, where there's pain associated with that person's name or with that memory, and by an act of your will, you just want to say, God, I am releasing in a fresh, maybe, it's a, maybe this is the 70th time, all right? But you're going to release them in a fresh way just because you need to. I want you to stand to your feet. We want, we want to do business with God this morning. Somebody you need to release. Deeper forgiveness that needs to be released. It might have even been something this week. You know, in our marriages, we've got to continually live in an atmosphere of forgiveness with our spouses. And we've got to release. With our kids, we've got to release. And here's the second group I want to stand, all right? If you're one of those people I talked about that you get it all up here, but it hasn't moved this from a foot from your brain to your heart, and, and you, you need to forgive yourself. And you need to receive God's mercy and forgiveness in your own life. And maybe you're that harsh, you're angry person I was talking about. Or, or you are a person that is so quick with your tongue to, uh, to judge other people. Well, guess what? You need to know how loved you are. You need to be dismantled by the love of God. And maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you're a person that just says, I need, to, I need to receive God's forgiveness in a fresh way today. Now, I want you to hop up. We want to we pray for you too. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And if you're seated right now because your heart's good, I want everybody to stand and find somebody by you. Just put your hand on their shoulder or on their back. Join with this person. We want to support our brothers and sisters. Let's, let's end by loving each other and encouraging each other this morning. Find somebody nearby that's standing and just lay your hands on them. And I'm asking right now for a tidal wave of God's mercy, a tidal wave of the blood of Christ to wash us and cleanse us and to set us free. Y'all are with me on that? You ready for that? A tidal wave of mercy. Lord, right now, first of all, I pray for all of us because we all need to feel and get in touch with your great love for us and the price that was paid. Lord Jesus, undo us even over this holiday season. Wreck us with your love. Wreck us with your mercy. Wreck us with the feeling of having a $12 million debt washed clean. And God, that we're free before you. The chains have been broken off. And God, we are walking in the riches of Christ. I pray that every memory from a past sin that is in this place would be broken in Jesus' name. Everything, God, that we've confessed before you, but the guilt and the shame is still hanging. We say go in Jesus' name. We want to live in the freedom of the cross. We want to walk in the joy of the Lord. We want our hearts to be healed. We want our minds to be healed. God, break the chains off of us right now by the power of the blood of the cross. Jesus set us free. And enlarge our hearts. Some of you are getting your heart healed right now. God's expanding your heart. Your heart's swelling right now with the love of the Father. God, overwhelm us with your love today. And Lord, we choose right now to forgive the person involved with this deep pain. It might be ongoing. It might have been something from the past. But right now, by an act of your will, 
God, we're releasing. I want you to see you putting your hands on that person's neck, all right? Because that's what's been happening. You might not have done it physically, but that's what's happened in the spirit. And I want you to see the Lord uh, with helping you. You're taking those hands off right now. And those hands are no longer around that person's neck. I want you to see you lifting your hands towards the Lord right now in worship. Releasing that brother, that sister, that family member, that co-worker, that neighbor, whoever it was. We release you in Jesus' name. I want you just to say that. I release you in Jesus' name. Release. Say it again. I release you in Jesus' name. We're taking our hands off of their throat. And Lord, we're lifting our hands to you in worship. Because here's what we're doing. Forgiveness deals with what happened in the past. But now we're inviting Jesus into our future. And we're trusting the Lord with our hearts and with our safety and with everything else. We're trusting the Lord. And we're thanking him that he's a good, good father. And that he's trustworthy. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to leave here today so free, so full, that mercy and kindness and compassion and grace and love our release from us, it just comes off of our heart toward people who need mercy, toward people who need you. We want to be the love of Jesus in action. Ah, isn't that a great vision? Picture yourself being so full to overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving, so happy, so joyous that you know what? You look at the people who have wounded you and hurt you and there's nothing they're holding you back. You're able to bless and you're able to love in Jesus' name. This is supernatural. We need God to do this. But God is helping us right now. So, Lord, let us be great agents of healing and blessing throughout this whole holiday season. Build your kingdom through us, Lord, and extend your love to people who need you and are far from you. The good news of the gospel, Christ Jesus paid my debt and your debt. We are free. We are loved. We are accepted. Guilt and shame, gone. We are sons and daughters. What an amazing gift. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen.